basketball team have in common <laughs> middle-aged man in the bed and kids well i was just at max's basketball practice so i'm gonna uh the drill something about i don't know i give up they both do a lot of dribbling <laughs> that is uh yeah yeah my uh if, if people don't know um we're short my kids are short you know like speak short, for yourself shortest kids in the grade <laughs> Uh, type of thing. And um, my little Max wanted to do b- basketball. So, uh, and for some reason, they didn't lower the, the hoops. Really? It was absurd. Yeah. So they're just basically throwing it like a foot above their heads. It was just yeah. just constant failure. It was all the kids felt horrible about themselves afterwards. Yeah, they, but they it, did have fun. The first year that they do that, they're so uncoordinated that basketball is just, it's more of a, it's more of a concept than a reality. They, they just kind of walk around with these giant <laughs> balls you know, doing nothing with them. It's the future, future yeah. of my family with giant balls. Um, Small in stature, but giant balls. We are going to have a great show today. Did yes. You know that? Well, so we, you say. We have, we're going to get over this, you know, Murphy's Law feeling right now. Yeah, I'm okay. really experiencing the Murphy's Law. We're having a Murphy's Law morning, but yep. guess what? In this studio, when we're doing the show, everything is awesome. This is like going to church, man. This is it. This is it. <laughs> And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. It's the RMA Thanksgiving special. Join us for hot turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and gravy. You bet. Today, we tackle (laughs) seasonal affective disorder and discuss the practical guide to staying sober after you get sober called Living Sober. Today, on a very special Thanksgiving edition of RMA. Are we going to talk about sober, getting sober? Yeah, I I noticed the word sober is going to come up a lot today. I want to say welcome to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. (laughs) Where can they find us, Mike? Wow. After that, I uh, don't even know what to say. Um, why don't you use your finger and log on to middleagesrecovery.com uh, where, you, where you can listen to past shows, buy some merchandise through the web store. Um, wouldn't it be great if you showed up on... So now it's scratching your balls. <laughs> you, it was sneezing it and coughing. And all, it was sort of the top it, okay. right... Lower abdomen. For those of you who can't see us at home, which is all of you, thank uh, God. The view that I have had for the last year and a half is uh, it's of spectacular. Hanks. Uh, Hanks. Why did I just call you Hank? Of Nat's balls, because I'm sitting at eye level with his crotch because he's sitting on a very high chair. I'm on a high, so whenever he, high chair. whenever you reach into your pants to adjust the package, yeah. it's uh, quite evident. You get a look. Yeah. <laughs> and we will not be shaking hands later. Um, so, yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be great if you showed up for Thanksgiving dinner with uh, a carload full of Recovery in the Middle Ages t-shirts to give out to your 
drunken family members that yeah. you've been trying to avoid all year, but now have to spend Thanksgiving dinner with. It's the perfect gift. It is. And if you order today, uh, there is no discount, but I can almost guarantee you'll get it by Thanksgiving. How's that? Yeah. Thanksgiving. Sure. Why not? If you order today. Everything I send out, yeah. assuming I put it in the mail the same day, is like two or three day. So well, what kind guarantee. of merchandise do we have? We have uh, three different types of t-shirts. We have the... We have Recovery in the Middle Ages classic. The one I'm wearing. The one you're wearing, which you can all see clearly. Yes. Um, and then we have the baseball half sleeve, mm-hmm. which is a very uh, uh, hipster yeah, it's cool, sort of like, thing you can wear around to your looks like a softball university. games. Yeah, like university. Football. And then we have the RMA, which sort of looks like a little bit like um, NWA. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. And the uh, cheers <laughs> like in the microphones. Oh, and the cheers in the microphone. Right. Yeah, so we did, we didn't actually make the the other one. Which one? The one that just says R M A without like, the, like NWA on it, or yeah, like Run DMC. Oh, that's the baseball one. Yeah, R M A University. Just buy the damn shirts already, yeah, man. Make us feel good. Um, wearing them. Yeah, so just the web. All good things will come to you if you go to the website. Um, you know, you can you could submit your story to us yeah. at the website, We'd love hearing which is from a good everybody. place to do that. Or you can email it to me at uh, mikeartmiddleagesrecovery.com. Uh, when you get to uh, your favorite podcast app, please like and subscribe uh, and leave us a review. Uh, those things in the aggregate will increase our visibility for the algorithms on iTunes and all the other um, podcast platforms wow. and allow us to reach more people who are suffering from addiction-related disorders mm-hmm. and... Uh, Joint, you know, we'll get everybody in and we'll help as many people as we can. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Am I just talking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great reviews will be read on the air. The best place to do that is, well, I already did that. Right. Uh, join the private Facebook group. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun on there. We are. And <laughs> it's free. It's, it's free. It really is. We just hang it out. It is for the, for the time being. No, the, the Facebook yeah. group will always be free. Yeah, Maybe. sure. Sure, why not? All right. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. Share it with a friend. If you get something out of it, share the love yeah. and help grow the RMA movement. And if you have any stories about sharing uh, the show with a friend and that they got into it or got into recovery, I would love to hear that. Super meta. Yeah. Share your story of sharing the podcast. It, yeah. Well, I'm seeing a lot of shares on Facebook. Like our, our little ad gets a lot of like Yes. Which re-shares. one? The one where I basically I, gave God the middle finger? Because well, the, that one that one's going engendered well. some controversy. Yes, that one's Some lady well. just commented on it. F you. <laughs> that was it. Uh, so, we're just having fun. Listen, folks. I'm not here to make friends. Hey, uh, we do have a story, though, don't we? Yeah, we do. It's a short one. Uh, this is your story. Uh, That's not my story. Not, not his, but his. It's Chris's Chris story. H. Yeah. He says, I am a 63-year-old Australian. I, too, am a 63-year-old. <laughs> I have been a regular drinker for over 40 years and have tried many times to walk away from alcohol. I tripped over your podcast recently and while he was walking away from alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, nice. And I have been listening to current and past episodes. Love the humor and balanced approach to addiction recovery. It has given me some new ideas and it's great support. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Keeping it up is a large part of middle ages recovery. Yeah. Yep. We have to do that. Really? I can't even get a Uh, chuckle mm, for that. mm, Nothing. (laughs) I get nothing. I think I I spaced out while you were telling that joke. Um, 
Well, that's interesting. Where did that story come in? Did it come in through the website? Yeah. So on okay. the website, there's if you scroll down a little bit, there's like a form you can fill out. It says your story. Yeah, yeah I know all about it. I tell the people about it every week. But uh, I, I, of course, don't get to see those because the they website, come to me. They and come if they're to you. good, yes. then I'll forward them to you. And usually it's... What if they're not good? Why don't you forward them the bad ones to me? Well, because they're just people selling like Ginsu oh. knives and rat traps <laughs> and... <laughs> Rotch shavers and things. Because yesterday, like, you know, I went with my hat in my hands, uh, you know, to our private Facebook group soliciting uh, good reviews and stories because <laughs> I didn't think we had any. But well, you know. what we do now on the private group is um, we got this this bag of chips that on each chip, it's like, you know, think of Scrabble, a bag of those letters, except when you pull one out, it's got like a, um, a topic for a recovery meeting on it. So mm. what I've been doing is I've been doing it and picking one and then taking a picture and posting it on a Facebook group and to see what people have to say about it. So um, we, in a segment called Monster Speak, uh, speak, speak, Monster speak, 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 speak. We uh, had a couple of those this week. So we had some really interesting debate. Um, one of the chips that I did, I'm going to read a couple. Uh, it said, first things first. Um, mm. uh, now there's a Brad B. He's a, a new member of the group, a friend of Grant's, um, and we wanted to shout out to him. He's doing great. He says, for first things first, similar to what's already been said here, that no matter how overwhelming life seems and how much fear or lack of faith I put into a day, no matter what stories my mind creates is truth, any day that I go to bed sober, it's a win and been a good day in the right direction. Sure. So in other words... First things first, like what does that mean to you? Sometimes these are like kind of awkward to, to like parlay them into the discussion, but like how does first things first, that phrase, I guess, kind of apply to your recovery? Like, what does that mean to you? Well, I was thinking about, about those chips and how they really are a Rorschach test for what's going on inside of your head right? at any given time. Because you can put out a prompt like first things first, and then somebody who is thinking about something totally different will somehow work yep. that concept into the thing that's on their mind. So to that extent, it's very good uh, in a therapeutic way hmm. to see what sort of stuff comes up right. with those chips. That's I find. interesting. So. Um, we had a couple of responses on this. Uh, Susan uh, DP says, regaining the trust of my family. I need my spouse and children to trust that I'm dedicated to my recovery, mm-hmm. uh, to which I replied, and that takes time. They say, if you walk six miles into the woods, it's six miles back out. And I say it's uphill on the way back. So if you were active in addiction for 10 years, it's going to take more than 28 days to get clean and earn back trust. Patience is difficult when you are doing great, but your family still looks at you askance. They do. Askance. I, I like to think of it as sort of like, uh, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Um, yes. Did you ever go into the canyon? No. Ah. I think I got like near it. Well, I don't mean like fell into it. No. There are paths that you can walk down. I feel like, no, I didn't do that. But so I did several years ago. Did you go down on a donkey? That's like no. a thing. I, I walked myself down. Amazing. Um, but it is extremely easy to go down. So easy, in fact, that you don't even notice it. You're walking along, you're looking at the sights, and all of a sudden you're halfway down into the Grand Canyon and it's only taken you like a half an hour. Hmm. Now, how long would you think it takes to turn around and go back out? A little. Same long. distance. <laughs> Same distance, I'd say a lot longer. Yeah, like three hours. And then it's a lot harder. It is a lot harder. That is a perfect analogy. For it is. You can, you can go down and not even know you're going down until you get to the point where you got to turn around and claw your way back out. 
Yeah. Such as it, such it is with recovery, addiction, alcohol, whatever. Yeah. yeah. When I first started getting clean, um, the first bunch of times, uh, and I've noticed this in other people. We put in a couple of weeks. We we you know get sober for a couple of weeks. We do a little bit. Thank you. We do a little bit of uh, recovery work, and we feel like a whole new person. Yeah. But your mother or your partner or your friends are still looking at you. You know, sure. like you were, even right. though you feel different, and that is extremely uh, frustrating for people in recovery. You want to be treated like you feel. Yeah. But that takes a lot of time. Well, and you yourself are not really, you may think that you're back right. all the way to the lip of the canyon when in actuality it's a false, it's a false lip and yeah. you still have like hours to go to get to the top. So what I tell people, they say, how come I, you know, it's been five months and they still don't trust me with the, uh, with the bank card, mm. you know, I'm doing everything right. And, and sometimes it drives us back to use. I know it drove me back to use sometimes because I'd put in six months, I'd be, feel like I'm doing great and I'm still getting looked at sideways. I'm still not trusted. Uh, and that was extremely frustrating. And sometimes I would use over it. And so, you know, or you think that, you know, that you've made it six months and you know, you're out of the woods and everything's cool. And sure. now I can go back and I can go have that, Absolutely. that slick Michelob Ultra after my, uh, after my run no. and my workout. And then it turns out, you know, a week later you're sitting in, uh, in your closet drinking vodka. Yeah. That could it, happen too. It takes, you must be extremely t- patient it takes lots of time and lots of work. Um, when we had a Thanksgiving, so this is the Thanksgiving episode, a Thanksgiving-related uh, post, uh, Melissa M. posts, I'm hosting Thanksgiving this year, and this goes along with the topic today. Uh, one of my best friends and her family is coming here from uh, North Carolina to uh, f- to North Carolina from New York. I don't want to tell her ahead of time that I'm not drinking unless it comes up because I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Mm -hmm. I also know from my drinking days that I would have been disappointed by this news. Uh, Should I have wine for her? How do y'all handle this? Um, That is a great question. This is is a great question. You know, early on in my recovery, when I was finally like, it was real tenuous and it was new, we still hosted holidays at my house. But... Everybody, you know, we just had dry holidays and Mm. people knew, you know, we didn't surprise them. We said, you know, it's going to be dry. Did you let people bring their own? We didn't. The first couple of years, you know, we please ask no. Right. Later, then the next few years after I was kind of stabilizing and everybody. But that's part of the the whole thing was that people knew, though. My family knew what I was going through. Right. There was no, nothing was hidden. Right. Mm. So it's completely different when you're sort of trying to be anonymous in your own family. Um, Corey C replied, I know how you feel. I have a personal rule that I don't provide alcohol to anybody. Mm. I tell guests that if they want booze, they can bring it, but I don't drink and don't have any in the house. It seems that people will just not drink then. Or, uh, if they're like I was, they won't go. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I used to worry a lot about, oh, no one's going to want to come to our Christmas. No one's going to want to come to this party because there's no alcohol. But Mm -hmm. the truth is the only people who think that way are other alcoholics. That's right. You know, regular people, so to speak, people who don't suffer from AUD, Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't ruin their night usually. Usually. You know, and that's what I found. I would always marvel. We we do Christmas at the house and it was a wonderful time and nobody had a drop and we had a a great time. And and you know what? Those folks who ordinarily would have had a bunch of drinks went home and they woke up the next morning and- Probably thank you. Yeah. They said, because nobody ever wakes up regretting that they didn't drink. Right. Yes. (laughs) It is a good point. Tony D says- 
Hmm, difficult one. I don't mind uh, when other uh, other people drinking when I am out or at a meal. I just don't want it in the house, though. It's too much of a temptation for me. But maybe honestly, honesty is the best thing. A hundred percent. You'll be amazed at how people react. I oh. agree, uh, Susan. I mean, I think some of that really like, depends on w- what your friends are like, right? I yeah. mean, because if if you were a big boozing crowd and you invite that same crowd over to hang out at your house, you know, for a ho- I mean, your family's going to come no matter what, right? Because they're your right. family. But if if these are friends that you're having over and your common relationship with them was that you used to drink a lot together. You might be surprised in a different way when they're like, yeah, you know, I don't think we're going to make it this year and so on. But, and you know what? That's fine. That's fine because that you don't need that. You don't need that in this stage of your recovery. No. And, um, and they actually have some practical examples of what to say in the book we're covering today, living Mm. sober. Um, you know, so we have a bunch of, uh, Bunch of uh, things that you can say. I have some shtick, you know. I have little jokes that I do, right. little techniques that we're going to get into. Um, the next person was Susan D. P. She says, I was honest with an out-of-town friend. She was very respectable and did respect, respectable and did not partake while in my house. We did go out once, but I assured her that others drinking while out to dinner does not tempt me. Uh, you can wait until they show up and say, oh, that's a Seymour. It's a Seymour. Yeah. Darn it. So, um, so that's the old trick. I, I, like, I like the previous, um, the previous post talking about honesty. Mm-hmm. And I know that's easier said than done. But you only have to do the awkward outing of yourself pretty much once, I found. Yeah. Once it's out of the bag and you, you, know, you just say it with confidence. Listen, I just, I'm not drinking or, and we're not having alcohol. Right. Um, it all, I think it all comes down to your level of comfort. Yeah, the amount of time you have in recovery. Maybe if it's your first set of holidays from not drinking, then you know maybe you keep the alcohol away. Maybe if you've got a couple years under your belt and you feel like uh, it's not going to be an issue of temptation, then uh, you know have it have it at the house. You know, have some wine at the house. But Are it's weird the- because I go into liquor stores and I, like, I'm lucky, right? My my wife's family is who we do all the holidays with. Mm-hmm. Most of them don't drink. Her father's been in AA for 30 years. Uh, and the ones that do drink are not like, you know, so I don't really have to struggle with that. But I, I am asked occasionally to go buy wine for these affairs, which is very weird to me to go into a liquor store and, you know, buy wine and, and to select wine with like, the guy in the liquor store yeah. knows everything about wine. And, and the guy, of course, in our town, up at the corner there, knows me because I used to go in there every single day for 10 years. Everything time I pass him when I go to Mario's? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that guy. No, I mean the, the guy up in- I know him yeah. too. Right. Yeah, I know. I know the other guy too. Because you're like, I don't want him to think I'm an alcoholic. I got to go to a different well, liquor store. Well, whenever I was feeling like I just needed a drink, I would go to the one next to Mario's because that guy's like- He doesn't care. He doesn't give a <laughs> shit. But whenever I wanted to feel sophisticated, right. like I wasn't really a drunk, that I was uh, I was selecting good wine, I would go to the liquor store up next to the <laughs> supermarket and I would be like, I would stand around like I was like, you know- trying. I did that same yeah. thing. I, I was in a sober kick and I had decided to relapse. I might've had three months or something. And I did it at that liquor store. Yeah. And I was like, you know, fuck this. And uh, I was home alone all day for whatever. I don't think I was working at the time. I went in 
And I was like, I'm looking for, and I hadn't had to drink in three months. So picture me, I was probably an outpatient. I was probably on probation. Yeah. I shouldn't have been drinking. Yeah. Um, I could have, you know, my wife would have divorced me type of thing. Like I didn't, like this is how bad my disease was, even though I had three months sober because mm-hmm. I hadn't done the work really or it hadn't taken. So I go in there and I see that guy and he's like, oh, how can I help you? And I'm like, yes, sir. Um, I'm interested in some kind of new vodka. I mean, what do you have that's like really good? I was, I had like 120 Oh, bucks. you went to the vodka? Oh, yeah. No, oh. I'm a vodka guy. Okay. I'm a vodka guy. So. Uh, and, and scotch. And uh, so he went through this whole spiel and he sold me this beautiful bottle of vodka. It came with a gift pack and I had to pretend like I was getting a gift. <laughs> I was like, no, it's a, it's a present that's for great. somebody. I, I forget what I said. If it was a birthday or, and I, I made like I was buying. And he goes, oh, you're going to have to get this, you know, this gift pack is great. It comes with an extra little glass and a, and so I sure. bought this entire kit <laughs> and it was like $120. It was just ridiculous. And I had it in my car. And I pull it out and I start drinking it out of the bottle. And, uh, but <laughs> you didn't even use the fancy little no, glass, but I kept that box with all that stuff in my car for like six months. <laughs> Every time I opened my trunk, there would be the gift set for this crazy vodka. <laughs> so yes, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I would go in there and be like, Oh, I, yeah, these Oregon Pinot Noirs. Can you recommend one that's, uh, you know, yes. slightly with that has more of the mouthfeel of a California, <laughs> you know, and it's all just fucking bullshit, you know, <laughs> give me my alcohol, yeah, you know, um, but yeah, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but still. You're a tangent. Um, I'm going to read. Oh, you want to read your? You had an actual, but you've been talking about it. I did. It, so. I had one. Do you want uh, to read my, it? my advice was as follows My wife and my mother in law drink wine sometimes, but my father in law has been sober through AA for 30 years, so our family affairs are pretty light on the booze. This was not always so when my first wife was still alive. Um, there is a lot of drinking in her family, and I've had them over many times since she passed, and I usually provide beer and wine in abundance. It honestly doesn't bother me, but I, I say that with two plus years of sobriety. If it were earlier in my journey, I think I would feel differently and would just ask them to bring their own. With friends, it's complicated, but rather than worrying about her reaction, I gently suggest that you do what's best for your sobriety. A true friend would understand if you're not drinking and it shouldn't be a big deal for them. That was my uh, two cents or four um, cents. Very good. Yeah, I like it. Um, or nonsense. So uh, that was Munster Speak, Speak, Speak. Um, we do have more on there. There's been a lot more discussion. Yeah. Uh, so come to the private group. You just have to merely um, apply or uh, and that sort of thing. And um, Just we're go to the regular Facebook group and ask there. Uh, we, we've, I admitted two new members this morning, in fact. Yeah. It seems like they're picking up. And uh, the uh, Joseph Naus also joined the group. He did. Which yeah. I'm very excited because I know he doesn't really do Facebook, so I know he's kind of doing that to be cool. You know, for you know, be he's nice doing, to us. He's doing it to be cool. To be cool to us. I mean, <laughs> not to be cool, but he's being cool to us, and All we right. appreciate that. And thank you. Um, and that's exciting. So come on down. Um, and I, uh, how was your week? I mean, we had a pretty crazy week, didn't we? We always say we had a. Crazy we always week, say that because our weeks crazy. are always crazy, especially during the school year. Um, I've got you know multiple fires that I'm putting out on multiple fronts. You know, mm. there's some shit going on at work that. Uh, you know, 10-year-old cases that all of a sudden come up back to haunt you. And, yeah. you know, maybe you didn't do the right thing in 2007 or whatever it was. Um, that's why but you have that's, you know, practice insurance, don't you? Yeah, well, yeah, but that doesn't help with the boss. So that's kind of scratching at my back side. And, uh, you know, I've, got, I've been having trouble with the oldest son uh, who's yeah. on his way to college and yet seems to be doing everything within his power to sabotage his chances of going to college. Mm. I can't get him to do anything, and it's it's really just getting under my skin and my wife's skin who has spent literally months of her of her 
spare time, which yeah. she does not have in abundance anyway, filling out applications for this kid. And, uh, you know, it's disheartening. I mean, you know, I thought like all the issues with him were going to be pretty much resolved once he stopped doing drugs all the time. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it turns the out, yeah, it you, turns out, no, no. you know, this, this shit's still, you know, he's still 17. Right. That doesn't change. Oh, and remember I said a few weeks ago that I found out that he thought that he was smoking weed again and stuff. Yeah. And I found, and I looked up the strain, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I actually confronted him about it and I don't know if I mentioned that before. And no, you it, said you didn't say anything. I did. Okay. I did because, um, I don't know. We got into some disagreement cause he's always late getting out of the house in the morning. And, uh, I, I said something like, uh, oh yeah, well we tried to get him started on some some new medication for the attention issues mm-hmm. and he was a, a, and he seemed like he wanted to take it and then all of a sudden he decided he wasn't going to take it and I asked him before we went to the to drive him to school one morning I said are you going to take the medication today and he's like no and I'm like I said maybe you should because it'll probably do more con- do more for your concentration than I was like whatever weed strain he had uh and right then I, and sativa then I, yeah <laughs> then that sativa you got up in your room um Mr. Goldstein because that's the name he was using to send <laughs> send the weed to the house two doors oh, down. So he like him. Yeah, I zinged him. Uh, so I felt <laughs> I felt pretty good about the cheap shot, you know. Um, yeah. But then he was like, um, first, of course, the first reaction is, "Why are you going through my stuff?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, I said, I said, don't flatter yourself. I said I'm running." Uh, you know, I got a contractor coming to your room to run electric and I had to find the conduits and stuff. So I went in there, you know, and which is like a half truth. I mm-hmm. did have to do that, but I probably didn't have to look inside the bag, but it was there. So, you know, what am I going to do? Um, so and then he's like, well, it's I don't know why you're freaking out. It's just CBD. And I'm like, really? And then I, uh, I go back and I Google the strain and CBD. And apparently it is a strain of CBD. And I did find some mailing materials there that said that it was only CBD. So I may have, hmm. I may have incorrectly assumed that he was smoking a lot of weed again, hmm. or he's just extremely crafty at hiding it. But interesting. Um, yeah. Well. So, but either way, it doesn't seem anyway. So that's how my week's going. Uh, <laughs> yes. Did you do, um, what else did te- I do? Did you have parent teacher conferences? I had parent teacher conferences. Yeah. Is this done? I think this is done nationwide. I don't know if they do this globally. I'm sure they do. Maybe they call it something different. Uh, if you live in Australia or New Zealand or England, um, write, write to us at MikeR at middleagesrecovery.com. What do they call parent teacher conferences in your country? Is this what they call it everywhere? Is this something yeah. that you do uh, across the pond? Just curious. So you had it <laughs> for all pond. three kids? No. Okay, they don't do it in high school, I guess. They do, but it's it's optional. And my wife has had so much email right. communication with all of his teachers for the last however many years that there's no need to go and do these things. Yeah. And Jack is in another school, and they only will talk to you if your kid is having trouble. So no gotcha. conference means no trouble. We had no conference. There is no <laughs> trouble. So he's doing good at he's the He's doing school. very well. He's ah, finally, so awesome. he has finally settled in. Nice. Found his groove. No, I'm really happy to hear that. He is uh, trying out for the riflery team. Awesome. <laughs> the last two days, he's been staying late to, to shoot at little pieces of paper with a pellet gun. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a more, most importantly, he's found a peer group there, which was my big worry that he was not going to, you know, click with a bunch of kids because it's hard for him to make friends sometimes. But, um, so the only conferences I really had were sixth grade conferences with Ben, like you had with Noah. Right. Generally. Okay. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he, one class, 
he has some attention issues like his older brother. Uh, so it's not a matter of him doing bad work. It's a matter of him not being able to hand in the work or find the assignment. This anything is like exactly that. what Noah. But, but these are rectifiable issues, right. you know, and mm-hmm. so I've been working with him the last couple of days since the conference to make sure he's on point, uh, as has my wife. So, yeah, so that was something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, had a, I also had an MRI yesterday of oh. my hip. Really? I'm just going to get all my shit out of the way get so that you can go. Um, yeah, that was weird. I've, I've, my hip has been bothering me for a year and a half. Are you going to be the first one of the two of us to get a hip replacement? <laughs> I, I, I don't need a replacement. It is a torn, it is probably a torn labrum, which mm. is a thing in there. Okay. That makes it hurt when I cross my legs. I think we, we don't call it middle age once you get a hip replacement. I think you have to be uh, elderly. A lot of people are getting them at age in their 50s now. Huh. Yeah. I think I'll call it elder covery. <laughs> like elder care. Well, we can do that covering. in another, I don't know, seven years We're gonna when have I hit to, 60. We're going to have to rebrand when you hit 60. Yeah. That's sad. It makes, <laughs> makes me really sad to think about that. Uh, so it's just been a nutty week. I've been running from... You know how you you feel like you just have no control over things and you're just being pushed along yes. and you fight against that so hard because you're like, I got to do this. No, I can't. I got to do this. Yep. What, I, what I realized a couple days ago is that I just had to stop wanting to control it all. And I just kind of let go. Ride it, the wave. Right? right. But it didn't, it didn't, it's not like it made the things to do any easier, but it made it more manageable mm-hmm. in that I wasn't like, in addition to everything I had to do, I wasn't also feeling like a hand was squeezing yeah. inside of my body. Man. Like, I was I'm, just like, I can't, I can't control any of this. Yeah. None of it is in my control. Let go. Right. Yeah. Do you I let, don't have to let God, but I, I just, I do have to let go, yeah. you know, of, of my attachment to the insanity, right? And, and my right. place in it. So and that, I, that's I, where presence of mind and po- the power of now, I think for me comes into sure. place, you know. Meditation. Yeah, meditatious. Uh, I have been meditating faithfully, and I think that's made a big difference to me. Uh, and, and it helps me too. Uh, we, we're both meditators. I just haven't been doing more of my formal meditation, but I completely relate to what you're saying. I, I have that, those same feelings in your, usually happens when I'm sitting in the car in between one thing going to another mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about whatever my financial difficulties, oh, I'm thinking yeah. about work deadlines and I have other jobs too. So I'm thinking about this and that, the Christmas pageant at church, you know, it's like, <laughs> and at some point you just, for me, I just have to get into the present moment, just like that book. I know you think it's like Buddhism light, which it is, but Power of Now really brought my attention to, you know, like when you're in those moments and you're feeling so lost and being like spun around, you just focus on something tactile. Like mm. I'll have my hand on the wheel and I'll just like rub the wheel a little bit and I'll feel it and I'll pay attention to that feeling and I'll <laughs> rub it out. <laughs> and usually it the wheel probably me. likes it. I'm just like accepting that like these things are happening. Certain things that are happening, you have control over. Most of them you don't. Right. And then just sort of trying to calm myself. Um, I, I'd like to withdraw my criticism of, of that because Buddhism light is sort of like a dismissive thing to say. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to be dismissive about it. I mean, I... I love that I, book. I Yeah. I mean, I... I've gotten the information in that book from other sources. Right. Let's just, I'm going to leave it at that. It's perfect for a guy yeah. like me that never studied Buddhism. Right. Uh, and, uh, and that sort of brings me into it. I like it. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, my parent-teacher conferences for my kids were uh, interesting. Um, 
we uh, I'm always nervous about because my oldest is a different kind of kid, mm-hmm. and he's but he's really brilliant and he's funny and he relates to adults more than he does kids type of thing. And yeah, he's always good to talk. He's an easy kid to talk to as an adult. You know, some right? kids like like scare to you and stuff, but well, he's always like da, 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 yeah, right. man. And part of that is his whole life I've spoken to him like he's another adult, right? And I'll I don't dumb down my vocabulary, mm-hmm. and when I I use a word that I know he doesn't know, I immediately define it and um, move on. And that's why their vocabularies are so good, both my kids. And so all I want is for the teachers to understand him. And, you know, previously, uh, when they don't, it's a nightmare. They think he's just not a bad kid. They think he's not paying attention because he's being a a schmuck. Right. But uh, that's not him. And so this year, what I heard from all of his teachers is they get him. Which is great. And, you know, his homeroom teacher is like, he's such a great kid, and he reminds me of me, and like, um, but she also acknowledges that he's a different breed of cat. Mm -hmm. And so she even mentioned a different school, Mm. you know, that school for the gifted type of thing, where he's Mm -hmm. just a different kind of learner, and and that he could be a 95 kid. Right. And, but he doesn't put that effort Mm -hmm. in, because everything comes so easy to him. So we're dealing with that kind of thing, like him being able to focus on some of the stuff that maybe isn't, he immediately identifies as, I don't need to know that, or I already know Yeah, right. And then, but what he's not getting is you still have to jump through these hoops. You know what I mean? Like you have to, otherwise they can't give you the points, even though they want to. They're like, I wish he would do it. Um, Boy, that sounds like my older son. Right. It's that attention, you know, and he's been diagnosed now, attention uh, deficit hyperactivity disorder Mm -hmm. or ADD. Uh, And so they're aware of it, but they embrace him and, you know, it's great. And I love that. But, you know, so he's been my really tough project. My younger mm-hmm. one, who's in the second grade, is so easy. Mm-hmm. And it's good teacher, to have an easy one, isn't oh, it? <laughs> you know, I hate to put the pressure on him like that he's always got to be the good kid. Right. Because he sees us struggling with Noah. But uh, the teachers love him. They say he sometimes, he, and they, they both are funny. I love hearing that they both, yes. they stick quite a lot right but not they don't go over the top and the teachers all say things like you know sometimes max will have a joke that he knows the kids won't get uh-huh. and he tells the teacher awesome only. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got some material that he knows, he knows his audience yeah <laughs> but um Ad, it's so great to hear you know because we struggle so much um raising these kids and i'm constantly doubting myself on how i raise them and Absolutely. whether i'm doing the right thing and I'm always thinking about, you know, when my oldest was much younger and I was struggling with addiction and I had to go away to, um, to rehabs and things like, how did that affect him? Cause I know that it did a hundred percent. It did. And that's fighting, uh, in front of him. And luckily the last five, six years, it hasn't been like that, but I still worry of course, that I, I've really screwed them up. But, um, fortunately kids are resilient and, uh, you know, I, being honest with them is, is probably the best way to approach something like that, you know? Because I, you know, I wasn't so out of it when my kids were younger, but I was, also, but I was always a little out of it, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I feel like, the, like I, maybe I put up emotional barriers between myself and them, and I, I don't really know like what the, how they think of me now versus what they think of me then, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I'm not quite sure how to 
resolve any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, luckily, my youngest was a baby when I was going through it. But sometimes I, I try and pry and, you know, into Noah's like memory, like right. without overtly being like, what was I like when I was on the yeah, yeah. all the time? But what I'm getting from it is I was just a lot more fun. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> that's he, great to hear right when i took a, a major turn and i really got better mm-hmm. you know it was kind of maybe it was a, i was all of a sudden present i was all of a sudden you know trying to get him to go to bed on time i was all yeah. of a sudden interested in his homework you know mm-hmm. um and you know so when i was first starting to be like an actual father right he was like where's daddy right oh, where's right. my buddy you know and so i've been walking that line you know trying to because I probably went too far to the other side and was too much of a disciplinarian at first, trying to make up for whatever. Yeah. So anyway, now I feel like we have a better balance. Yeah. And part of that was seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my wife and I both see this therapist that also sees Noah. Mm-hmm. And so we talk parenting strategy. We talk our approach. That's and a good then idea. He'll t- it's actually working out freaking phenomenally mm-hmm. i highly recommend anybody and miraculously insurance covers covers it that is that's a christmas miracle right there so my, my recommendation is marry a uh, a teacher who works on long island and your medical coverage will be great i got one of those do you yeah, i do <laughs> um but but i mean the the good takeaway from that uh, that whole experience that you had is that once you put down the alcohol or the substance there's a lot more ground left to cover before you reach the end of the race, right? That's right. And that's what this book, Living Sober, is all about. It's about once you put the bottle down or put the crack pipe away, Mm. uh, you got a whole lot of living to do. Um, And that's one of those things that, you know, I wanted to talk about our recovery meetings. Oh, Uh, yeah. We had one of those uh, last weekend. Speaking of the private group... RMA is turning into its own program as far as having organized meetings. Wow. Um, we, we don't have like a, um, a mission statement or anything like that, but it's really amazing. We've got another one coming up this Sunday. And uh, so uh, on Did Sun- you see what Grant had titled the, the Sunday's meeting? No, what was it? It's uh, Holiday Tips and Strategies for not using and drinking over the holidays or something like oh, that. Oh, cool. So, which sort of dovetails nicely with this week's episode, I think. Great. And uh, Mike and I are definitely trying to be there. We've moved it to 1130 Eastern Standard Time so I can get back from church. All are welcome. Yes. Even if you're not in the private Facebook group, if you email us, we will send you the secret codes yeah. to access the Zoom meeting. We and, want as many people you know. as possible. It's loving and supportive. So, um, the, the one topic that was covered was, and this is sort of the way that these meetings go. There's like a topic, usually. I mean, we've only done it once. So the idea is, and the topic was gratitude. Um, and um, I guess you were there. I was a little late. So we talked about gratitude. Gratitude is very important to mm. me. It's something I struggle with. It's something that I strive for to be grateful. And, um, and then I showed up and I got my recovery chips, which I'm very excited about. And I pulled the chip. And the chip was, and it just says one thing on it, and then you discuss. Right. And this one was self-centered. Mm. And, uh, and so that was kind of like, well, what does that mean? Self-centered has like negative connotations, right? Could. But, you know, in, in AA, we say that it's a selfish program. Uh, in other recovery programs, you're putting yourself first. So that can be seen differently. So we had a great discussion on that. Yeah, you could also see it as being centered within the self, which is not necessarily a negative thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you find your center of yourself, that's a good thing. Because right. Because then you are self-centered. Sure. Right. I wish I had thought about that 
during the meeting. Those meetings, like, I'm not like, I don't go to recovery meetings. So this is your first, I'm so psyched so that, that we're was, getting you to do it, recovery meetings. I know, but it's very weird. I feel very strange uh, sitting there because it's like a topic like that. Like I could research that topic for like, you know, hours and then maybe come up with something intelligent to say about it. <laughs> Pretty good right? on the spot. But on the spot, I'm kind of like humming a humming a because, you know, and then the next day I actually logged on and I was going to write this is what I really think about self-centered because I couldn't get it out yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, eh, fuck that. The, mo- well, <laughs> the moment's passed. I don't need to do that again. But, but it's all about, yeah. you know, thinking on your feet in the moment. Yeah. You know, what your instinctual. But you know what people see? And here's, again, it's like the stru- structured recovery meetings. It always seems a little strange to me because people have different thresholds for like their ability to, to be able to operate in a situation like that with mm-hmm. like anything approaching like competence. Right. I mean, right, but we're all there to get, we're in it together. Yes, of course. Right. You know? Which is why I'm not, I don't plan on giving up on it. And, but. and I just, I think that recovery is a team sport. Maybe. Right. And we're doing it. That's part of our whole idea with the tandem sponsors. Yes. Recovery you and partners. me, this is our weekly meeting right here. But I don't we, feel like I don't need another one when necessarily. We, but. When we get the monsters together, yes. magic happens. That's true. Um, Plus, you know what? I just like to get caught up with some of the people that yeah. I see on the group all week and you know, meet them in person and yeah. see them in person. Speaking know? of people we meet in the group, um, our good friend, Ryan Jay, who did his famous um, rendition of Recovering the News on the, on the group. Um, I got some very excited. He, he's a guy that's a little young. And he admits he's not exactly a middle-aged. But we've been trying to pigeonhole him into our demographic. And it's working. (laughs) It's working. So, um, you know, he's sort of an honorary middle-aged guy. And um, (laughs) and he posted... Imagine aspiring to be that. (laughs) So he actually posted something, because we're also personal friends on, uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, and uh, and I saw him post something cryptic like, oh, something great just happened. Um, and then people are like, what? What's going on? And I just wrote, congrats. Mm-hmm. And then he messaged me what was going on. Um, apparently, he's gotten an opportunity um, to uh, do some kind of, re- he said it's not rehab, but it's some kind of like live-in um, like treatment situation. Right. What apparently has a long waiting list and um, he's gotten very lucky. And he went for it. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that maybe are struggling with addiction who get an opportunity like that and they run in the other direction. Sure. Yeah. So we're so happy, Ryan, that you that you got this opportunity, and more importantly, that you're taking it. Yes. And so um, we wish you the best. Uh, we're here for you. You know, he said he would give give us updates, and so maybe you know we'll do some reporting on how. Ryan's doing and keep him accountable. Sure. Because I asked him, I said, do you want me to say this? Because if you do, you know, we're going to hold you accountable. And he's like, no, that's great. And so, you know, send good vibes to Ryan and um, we're going to be hearing about how he's doing. Do you think he can call up. us? Maybe he can call in from I, rehab? I think he would love it. Are you allowed I, I would, to do that? I, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are in his particular rehab. Some of yeah. them are very strict. And, yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes people will post things on recovery groups like, it's my 10th day in rehab. And I'm like, what kind of rehab lets <laughs> you keep your cell phone? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Because um, right? the ones I went to, it was total lockdown. You couldn't even have certain books. You could only have recovery lit. Um, hmm. And so we wish you... Well, I mean, I guess if you're luck. calling a recovery podcast, maybe that's okay. Maybe. 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 I think pretty soon we should, um, we could uh, start doing speaking engagements uh, locally. Go speak to like a rehab. I was thinking about doing that. Really? Uh, You can tell them, hey, I'm a recovery speaker. Do you need someone to speak at one of your in-house meetings? Wow. I've always wanted to do that because I used to be sitting on the other side. Yeah. 
And so, like, we could go out to Seafield. There's a bunch of rehabs. Just like Bill and Dr. Bob. We can go around and and minister to other AAs. It wouldn't be like a marketing tour, but... Well, um, we could wear the T-shirt and give out stickers. We'd love to uh, (laughs) spread the message a little bit. Um, But, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is coming. Um, That means a Christmas pageant at church is coming. Right. Uh, As many of you know, I'm very involved in my local little church here. Um, And uh, we always do a Christmas pageant. And I'm almost, for the last 20 years, I've done something with it. If I'm playing the guitar or I'm directing the music or I'm almost always doing something with this. Now, this year we have like six kids. Normally, we don't have a lot. We'll have 25 tops. So, but six? We have what happened like, to the rest of them? We have like six to seven kids. Were they raptured? They're just not coming. But yeah, <laughs> we, we are struggling so hard at that church to get the kids back. Huh. Um, because the parent, you know, it's just, it's because we're already a small church. So you throw a pandemic and people kind of fell away. And, um, and so, so has your teachers, church, I'm just curious about what? this. Has your church lost membership as a result of this? Like, are people just staying away because of the virus, do you think? Or you think... Yeah, it's just it's down, down because down. yeah, people are interesting. Stuck. A lot of our members are sixty and up. Oh, you know, it's an old church, uh, so uh, so it is what it is. But yeah. the, the the upshot is, Sunday school teachers, which I am, right, are going to be involved. So the three kings, you know, they march down the aisle and sure, so they, familiar with the song. Sunday school teachers will be singing that. Yes, and I will be acting in it. Wait, you get to dress as a king? I, I don't get to be a king. And I was a king when I was a kid. Uh-huh. But they didn't ask me to be a king. I was a little offended. But uh, I'm going to be in the Christmas pageant awesome. this year. Because, the, you know, not a lot of kids. But anyway, that's... You, why don't you go as the wise man? One of the wise men. Those the kings men. are the wise men. Oh, right. Mm. Three kings of Orient what do they are. Teach bearing you gifts, they, they travel afar. Sorry. they teaching you at that Catholic church. <laughs> um, and so that's going to be... Who plays the baby Jesus? It, it varies. Some years, if there is a baby in church, <laughs> we use the baby. So going to make you a star, kid. This year, we have a baby. The music director's uh, uh, son, Rhodes, is going to probably be Jesus. Um, wow. And that will be cool. It's very low-key. It's nothing like that. But like, Do you guys videotape it? or? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I got to uh, watch it. I got to watch <laughs> it this year. I but, watched your thing last year where everybody got together and put the music together. Everybody did a different part oh, over yeah. Zoom and stitched it all together. That was very well done. I was thinking about, there's a guy on uh, Dopey Nation, Steve S., I'll say, who always is playing his guitar. He does these little clips of him doing a song. Mm-hmm. An older guy, he's really a great musician he could sing he plays and uh, i made a comment and he said oh maybe this year uh they do something on dopey zoom like a christmas thing where they play music Hmm. and he's like maybe you can do a few songs and i'm like man i would love to learn a couple of christmas tunes yeah i mean i know them probably but i mean not offhand um but that would be fun for us to do a couple of tracks i have an idea because i i know green sleeves we could do that one what okay. child is this? What you know. <laughs> uh, so that could be coming soon. Could be. Um, we'll see. We'll see. The downside to this great season, this wonderful time of year, is it gets dark early. Fucking sucks, man. It really does. Um, and people get more depressed. They say. They even call it by a name. They call it sad. S A D. Seasonal affective disorder. Right, and uh, much like other depressive orders, such as major depressive disorder, there is a correlation between substance abuse and seasonal affective disorder. This may occur due to self-medication or substance use, may trigger the development of SAD. 
Each substance has a unique effect on the symptoms of SAD. What do you think the most commonly used substance around this time of year is, Nat? Is it alcohol? It would be alcohol. Oh, my goodness. It, <laughs> uh, some scientists have theorized this is due to a uh, carbohydrate craving, which is part of seasonal affective disorder, which is interesting. Um, it, seasonal affective disorder often strikes during winter. Yeah. <laughs> Which may also influence alcohol being the most commonly used substance. Many winter, I know you won't believe this, Nat, but many mm. winter holidays have traditions and parties that include alcohol. Wait, what? Did you know that? No. That's crazy. <laughs> and this came, by the way, this, this mm. little blurb that we're kind of riffing off mm. came off of a recovery web, website. Oh. Which, mm. you know, okay. Um, well, alcohol use may subdue feelings of depression for many people. Uh, for other people, feelings of depression are increased by alcohol intoxication. So cart, horse, mm. either way, right? It seems as though alcohol and depression are inexorably linked together, as I yeah. think other studies have shown outside of the realm of seasonal affective disorder. Um, whether the act of drinking increases the severity of sad symptoms, it's almost certain the after effects of drinking will increase depression. I can attest to that. Yeah, it's so counterintuitive, you know, because we've been trained to, you have a drink to feel better. It's time to relax. We have a drink. Right. We have a party to celebrate. We have a drink. And meanwhile, it's not, it's making you feel worse, uh, not better. Uh, do you find that you start to get more depressed? I mean, uh, yes. some people claim that they don't have this or it doesn't affect them, um, but I know it affects me. You t- tend to get depressed uh, during the cold dark weather? I mean, yes and no. I, it's, it's hard to say because I was always drinking more when the weather got worse uh, and this time of year because of the holidays. So whether it was seasonal affective disorder or just a general malaise that came from overconsumption of alcohol, it's hard to say. Mm. Uh, the last few years, have I noticed that I've been more depressed this time of year? I mean, a little bit maybe, but my wife experiences it worse you know, she she really the the onset of early darkness I think really triggers something uh, in your in your you know deep in your lizard brain, and um, so she like has gotten like she went out and got a light box. Have you heard this light box therapy? No. So if you're feeling like this seasonal effect of de- depression, one thing you can do is get a light box which has a full spectrum light that you sit <laughs> you sit in front of, and the light just blasts you in the face, and supposedly it oh. corrects whatever Im- chemical imbalance that the, this weird lack of daylight causes. Hmm. It's also... Uh, when do you do it? When you're feeling sad or do you... There is a regular schedule that you're supposed right. to do it with. But uh, also another one of the theories is that vitamin D, the lack of vitamin D is somehow tied in with seasonal affective disorder. And, um, you know, drinking will strip a lot of the vitamins out of your body. And so that probably doesn't help matters mm. if you're already low on vitamin D. Right. They've also theorized that most people who live above a certain latitude are vitamin D deficient regardless. And drinking on top of that makes it worse. So I can see how the correlation between drinking and seasonal effect disorder is a real thing. Um, but, you know, do I suffer from it like in a noticeable way that like I'm much more depressed in the winter? Uh, eh, I don't know. I, I don't think too much. What about you? I, I definitely do. Yeah. I, I sense it. Um, I tend to get more depressed. I I have to work harder to be happy. I've noticed, Yeah, you know, for a while I was on autopilot, man, starting last spring when I was working out all the time and you know, I was just, I was on top of it and I felt good. I woke up with my blood pumping and, um, and in the last month or two, 
as it begins to get colder, I've just been cycling down into this like depressed state. Mm. Um, you know, and, uh, and I have to work extra hard. And in fact, um, one of the times I went to rehab, uh, it was like February. It was Valentine's Day was when I checked in. And, uh, <laughs> How romantic. Yeah, it was so romantic. And um, I remember uh, it was Valentine's Day, but they were all, all saying, the counselors, and, well, you're so lucky you got a bed because this is the time of year right after the holidays and people get into rehab. Hmm. So it's like the busiest and the hardest time to get into rehab. It's like oh, it's like the gym, but in yeah. reverse. Right. <laughs> so if you're trying to get into rehab just after Christmas or just before, you're going to have a hard time. This is when a lot of people kind of go off the deep end. Or New Year's resolution, need to get something changed. Uh, and so I'm a well, believer in this. I mean, I, I believe in it 100%. Especially yeah. when you go on a tropical vacation, do you feel better? Of course. You know, you're in the sun, you're in the sand, you're smiling, you've got a non-alcoholic Mai Tai. But how much of that is like, because the other thing that's going on right now, as we've discussed already this week, is like everything is going on right now. Like everything with school, everything with the kids, everything with... You know, and then the holidays get piled up on top of that. You know, how much of seasonal affective disorder is because it's fucking holiday season rather than just the cold, dark season? You know, that is a good question. Uh, um, what say you, monsters? Uh, write us at Mike R at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. Do you suffer from SAD or is this um, a fabrication of our imagination? Um, I don't know. So, uh, our, our main topic this week, I guess we're getting, getting to it is, uh, you know, to dovetail off of sad, is uh, surviving the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, without falling off the wagon. This is one of the most (laughs) delicate times of the year for us. um, I feel fragile like a flower. Yeah. Um, So we thought it would be important to sort of give people some practical ways to not drink, because I know a lot of you out there who just started listening to us are just starting to get Try and be sober, and it's going to take a lot of changes in your life to get through these, you know, annual you know, traditions that we have in our society, and yes. it's global, um, which is great because we have people from all over the world are all going to probably deal with this. It's the season of families, of fires, of triggers. Like a of, family of is family. a trigger. Family is a trigger yes. usually for a lot of people. Um. So, like, just pulling back, before we give specific, some specific tips, I was, uh, I was on my morning run this morning. Did you catch any of the eclipse, by the way? No, I didn't. Yeah, it was a lunar eclipse. I saw, like, <laughs> just the tail end of it this morning. I missed it. I was out there. At, well, you had to be out there at, like, 5 o'clock. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm thinking, like, and it, and it just popped into my head this idea that you, families being a trigger, you don't actually have to go home for the holidays. Mm. Like, if your sobriety is new and fresh and delicate. Yeah. Maybe it's better if you don't. Yeah. I mean, when, when I first started getting clean and we, you know, we're asking our counselors, but, you know, what do I do? My friends are all going out to a bar. I, you know, I want to go be with my friends or, you know, the recommendation is to stay home. Right. At least at first, you know, give yourself some time. I mean, eventually you should be able to travel anywhere and be comfortable. But for that first year or so, um, you know, tell them you're sick because you are. I mean, so many people have it in their heads that there's traditions and we have to do this. And every Thanksgiving, uncle so-and-so always comes over or aunts, you know. But I mean, just because it's a tradition doesn't mean you have to do it if it's not 
if it's not going to serve your sobriety, if it's not going to serve the new way that you want your life to be. I mean, you're, you got to put your own mental health first. You're under no obligation to meet other people's expectations of what you should or shouldn't be doing around the holidays. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And this book, and I recommend everybody go out and get this book living sober. It's not, it's free. I'm going to provide the uh, link to the PDF for you to, to get it. It's short. And they give these practical uh, examples of, of, and it's kind of funny, the language is dated because it's written in the 70s. It is. Um, but from Living Sober, uh, and I hope this is the good quote here, it says, great numbers of us, but not all, believe that the sooner we establish the truth with our acquaintances, the better it is for us. In other there words, you go. just what we've been talking about, you let everybody know what's up, you know, without giving too many details, and it makes things easier. Let me ask you this, though. Do you think your, it's your first Christmas or your first Thanksgiving sober, do you think that's the best idea to tell to tell all your relatives what's going on? No, but what you can do is say something like, um, "Don't hesitate to say I'm not drinking now." And this okay. is, living sober tells you to just declare that early. Right. You don't have to say I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I got a DWI, and my wife is going to leave me if I drink. Um, you just <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do that. All you have to say but, is no thanks or a straightforward I don't care for any. Uh, often satisfies the questioner. And it's weird though, right? Because like you go home, you go home for Thanksgiving, you're in your 30s or whatever, even your 40s, whatever. And you get home and you, you have all these great intentions and, and this whole new life that you've built up for yourself. And then when you get there, you revert to the person you were when you were 16 years old yep. because that's the family dynamic. It's never changed. And I think I, you know, it's, it's hard under that circumstance to, to be assertive right? With yeah. family and say, I'm not going to do this because, you know, then your brother's going to be like, oh, fuck you. You're not going to do this here. You drink the, you know, or whatever. Well, my know? brother did that exact thing yeah. early on, you know, and you just, you know, it's important that, um, you know, you're just, you're stern about it. And this is if you're feeling capable of being that assertive. Right. Like you said, if you're not, then just sit it out this year. Um, you can also say things like, uh, I've had my share or I've had health. my, I'm sorry, I've had my, I've share. had my share. Well, uh, if we feel the need to explain any further, we try to do it without lying. This is from living sober and in a way that other people can rapidly understand and accept. For instance, there are old standbys like health reasons. I'm on a diet and doctor's orders. Most mm. of us at one time or another have been given or have read some such advice by a physician. Um, uh, had all I can handle. Um, or you could say, found out it doesn't agree with me. Um, and so just having these responses ready, mm -hmm. you know, like I have a couple of jokes ready. Um, you know, if, if I say, oh, I don't drink, um, you know, I'm, and if they ask why, I say I'm allergic. So when I drink, I break out in handcuffs. Right. You know, or the, you can do j jokes like that. Or I, I take a line from George W. Bush, who I, I read would say, because he was also a um, recovered alcoholic. He would say, I used to drink too much, and now I don't drink at all. And I've used that one. It sort of says it all. Yeah, um, I like that one. I used to drink too much, and now I don't drink at all. Right. Uh, and so just to have some of those uh, canned responses ready, you know, that's what we always are saying. Make a plan. I think at the, the beginning I used to go with... Uh, yeah, I was having some health issues and doctor told me to, to knock it off, you know, so knock it off for a while. So I, I have been drinking. That's it. Yeah. You, know, or, you don't have to be, and if they probe you after that, it's kind of like, well, it's none of your business. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's why I, you know, that's why I, 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 you know, fall back on like, 
you know, uh, uh, doesn't, uh, used to do too much, now I don't do it all. It kind of says it all without having to explain it all. Right. Um, and so, uh, that, and this, this book, Living Sober, is chock full of all of these practical examples. Um, well, I, yeah. I mean, they, uh, they, there's a, it's, they break it up into sort of like a list, right? It's like the, the tips, and they're like 30-some-odd tips that they give, right? Yeah, it's done by chapters, and you don't have to read it um, beginning to end, they say, to sort of access it at will right. using the, um, the table of contents. Um, and then uh, they also, it's practical for like everyday living sober. So the chapters are like staying away from the first drink. Using a 24-hour plan, remembering that alcoholism is an incurable, progressive, and fatal disease. So, and each chapter kind of gives you, and incidentally, one of the chapters is First Things First, which we, yes. uh, mm-hmm. we posted that on the page. Um, and so, we were going to read a few of these. Yeah. Um, and um, maybe I'll start with... Uh, in recovering from alcoholism, we found that we needed a balanced diet of ideas. This is great for us, actually. Even if some of them did not look at first as enjoyable as others, like food, good ideas d- did us no good unless we made intelligent use of them. And that leads to our second caution. Mm. Um, use your common sense. We found that we have to use plain everyday intelligence in applying the suggestions that follow. Like most any other ideas, the suggestions in this booklet can be misused. For example, this is important. Take the notion of eating candy. Obviously, alcoholics with diabetes, obesity, or blood sugar problems have had to find substitutes or they would, so they would not endanger their health, yet could still get the benefit of the candy-eating idea and recovery from alcoholism. Um, that's that replacement behavior yes. um, technique. Well, they also recommend... Um one of the replacement behaviors to be uh, exercise, which uh, I thought yeah. was, was well, well said. They're listing exercise. Um, mm. uh, they, they list exercise, but they also list, and, and this is, I, I wanted to read this, that the, there is a, um, uh, they, they say, well, you can, getting active is the, is the chapter. It's chapter six. Uh, and they say, it's hard to sit still trying not to do a certain thing, like drinking yeah. or trying not to think about it. You know, like, you know, the old joke, don't think of a pink elephant or whatever, and you're <laughs> yeah. gonna, that's all you're going to think about. So, so it is with drinking. The more we think about the drink we're trying to keep away from, the more it occupies our mind. Uh, uh, so they suggest some new hab- habits and hobbies. One is activity activity in or around AA. Well, since they're an <laughs> AA organization, you know that comes with the, so, some some uh, some suggestion to do that. And then the second one is activity not related to AA. I suppose there's some activities that are not related to AA. Um, so it says, we, we did such things as, one, taking walks, especially to new places and in parks or in the country, leisurely easy strolls, not tiring marches, you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, reading. Reading's another thing you can do. Although some of us got pretty fidgety if we tried to read anything that demanded much concentration. Going to museums and art galleries. Exercising, swimming, golfing, jogging, yoga, or other forms of exercise your doctor advises. Starting on long neglected chores. Right. Another thing we can do to distract ourselves from alcohol. Clean out a bureau drawer. <laughs> <laughs> this was written a few years ago, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Seventy-five, I think. Right. Um, 
you know, volunteering to do a useful service, like uh, reading to the blind, for example, although that opportunity tends not to come up yeah. that often, or sealing envelopes for a church mailing. I, I've actually <laughs> done that. Trying a new hobby. So uh, on our list of alternatives to drinking and things to distract us, finding, trying a new hobby is something that you and I both have been struggling with. Yes. I think we, we're overdoing it. Um, Nothing expensive yes. or very demanding. No. Although I should have read that a few months yeah. ago. Um, Just some pleasant, idle diversion in which we do not need to excel or win, but only to enjoy some refreshingly different moments. Or as if you, you don't feel bad enough about yourself, uh, you can do something about your personal appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, a new haircut, some clothes, or new glasses. Even new teeth have a marvelously cheering effect. <laughs> <laughs> new teeth do have a marvelous New teeth for the holidays. Um, these are all things that we've been doing. Um, like not for, new teeth, though. Not I new could, teeth, not but yet. I mean, I a lot of people do that when they recover because yeah. some of us who were addicted to certain drugs that rot your teeth, um, getting those new teeth, uh, going to the dentist finally. Because think about how much we neglect ourselves. It, it really is true. I mean, you know, the funny language, notwithstanding, uh, you know. It wasn't until after I, I stopped drinking that I finally went to the doctor for the first time in yeah. like five years, you know, 10 years, whatever it was. Me and too. I was relieved to find out that nothing was, was obviously a, a problem. But um, so along this, under this same umbrella, you know, they talk about using the serenity prayer, if that's your jam, like if you're into, into the God thing, or you can just substitute universe, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, wisdom to know the difference. I mean, I actually really like that prayer. It's great. Not as like a, um, you know, my, my opinion about God and recovery is like, God can be in your recovery, but God doesn't have to be in your recovery. And, um, but I, I still, it's, it's great to be mindful uh, that there are things that are outside of your control. Like you can go home for the holidays. You're not going to change the opinion mm. of your family members right. about the way they drink or live. their relationship with alcohol, right? And that's the live and let live right. maxim that they talk about in this book, which um, I think we should actually uh, read from that. Live and let live is an idea. Uh, it's sort of a way of thinking. One thing I did want to say, though, if you guys are in recovery, you know the serenity prayer. Right. It is the prayer that we say usually at the end of every meeting, unless they're doing the Lord's Prayer, which they do sometimes. Mm. And this has some interesting information on it that I didn't know. Uh, according to Living Sober, it says AA did not originate it. Incidentally. No, I know. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Versions Surprising. of it have been used for centuries in various faiths, and it is now widely uh currently outside AA, as well as within the fellowship. Okay, so it's a popular prayer. Whether we belong to this church or that, whether we are humanists, agnostics, or atheists, most of us have found these words a wonderful guide in getting sober, staying sober, and enjoying our sobriety. Whether we see the serenity prayer as an actual prayer or just as a fervent wish, it offers a simple prescription for a healthy, eternal life. <laughs> Fervent wish. I didn't see the internal eternal life, life. coming. Um, so, yeah, you guys, you have to remember that, you know, AA is pretty much a Judeo-Christian. Uh, so, so this is official lit- literature. It's going to have stuff like that in it. But, um, you know, that, you know, I'm not a, really an AA guy. I didn't come out of AA, although I've been, the more I, the more I get into it, the, the more I appreciate some of the, some of the more subtle aspects of the program. Mm-hmm. But uh, if even if AA isn't your thing, you know there's a lot of 
good tips and wisdom in this Living Sober book. So I, I really you recommend that. you check it out. They, regardless of your position on AA, uh, God and recovery, any of that stuff, there, there's just some really practical shit in here that I and, think you guys can yeah. benefit from. And they say that at the beginning, you know, that, listen, even if you're not an AA, you know, you're well, you know, he, here it says, we tell only some methods we have used for living without drinking. And you are welcome to all of them, whether you're interested in alcoholics or not. Uh, our drinking was connected with many habits, big and little. Some of them were thinking habits, other things we felt inside ourselves. Others were doing habits, things we did and actions we took. Hmm. Uh, In getting used to not drinking, we have found that we needed new habits to take the place of the old ones. For example, instead of taking the next drink, the one in your hand or the one you've been planning on, you can just postpone it until you read to the bottom of page six. I love that. It's yeah. like speaking to the reader, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that drink you've got right in your hand. You know, you can put that aside. Um, these practical hour by hour methods can easily be used at home, at work, or in social gatherings. Um, and, yeah, and they are practical, and they're not. You don't have to be a twelve stepper to get a lot out of this book. Yeah, I mean, for example, like uh, you know, suggestion eight: changing old routines. Yeah, now, this is like something that I really recommend that people engage in, you know, because it's very important to sort of break out of those patterns in order to break the pattern of, of drinking or your pattern of your addiction. Um, you know, certain times, familiar places and regular activities people associated with things. drinking, right? People, places, and things have been woven closely into the fabric of our lives, like fatigue, hunger, loneliness, anger, and over-relation. These old routines can prove to be traps dangerous to our yikes, sobriety. Um, you know, to illustrate, many who used to begin the day with a morning drink now head for coffee in the kitchen, right? Speaking of coffee in the kitchen, we had a little spill right here. There you go. There you go. I guess you'll find out. Um, you know, you can shift the order of things that you do to prepare for the day, such as eating before bathing and dressing or vice versa. A change in brands of toothpaste and mouthwash gave us a fresh, different taste to start the day with. We tried a little exercise or a few quiet moments. Um, you know, basically change your routine. Change everything. And when I first started in AA, uh, this was something that uh, the old timers or people who were trying to lead me along would say this to me. You have to change everything about your life. I had this one guy who was great. He would say- I don't want to scare people. (laughs) He said, you got to change everything. Everything you do. He said, if you normally put your pants on right leg first- uh, from now on, you do it left leg first. You know, if you brush your teeth, you know, uh, with your right hand, do you know stuff like that. Like just to change everything. So this is a popular idea in uh, in yeah, recovery. Like working people who used to sneak out for a drink on the coffee break now stay in and really have coffee or tea in a bun. <laughs> Page 20. Page 20. Get a bun. Uh, some people would say if you drive home one route in the old days, you pick a new way to get home. Mm. You know, don't pass those same things because how many of us, you know, we passed that old liquor store we used to go to, you know, and it just, it triggers all of these things. So they want you to change your neural pathways. Yes. And the sum total of all such alterations and pattern has given many of us an astonishingly powerful propulsion towards new vigorous health. Ah, I love that. <laughs> It's really brilliant writing. There's quite a bit of alliteration in here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the live and let live chapter. Yeah. Which chapter is that? So um, one of the chapters is live and let live. And it's sort of a way of thinking that um, helps us stay sober. I used this a lot this week after I read that chapter. Do you know that? No, I didn't. I really did. Because 
remember I was just describing before how I was like, so like I got to take myself out of the situation and just kind of yeah. let go. And, you know, if somebody's going to be a dick, yeah. you know, like, it's, okay, man. It's you not know. on you. Right. Um, this is chapter five on page 10. Yeah. The old saying, live and let live, seems so commonplace it is easy to overlook its value. Mm. Of course, one reason it has been said over and over for years is that it has proved beneficial in so many ways. We... AAs make some special uses of it to help us not drink. It particularly helps us cope with the people who get on our nerves. Uh, reviewing once more a little of our drinking histories, many of us can see how very, very often our drinking problem appeared to be related somehow to other people. Mm-hmm. Experimenting with beer or wine in our teenage years seemed natural since so many others were doing it and we wanted their approval. Then came the weddings and bar mitzvahs and christenings and holidays and football games and cocktail parties and business lunches. And the list can go on and on. In all of these circumstances, we drank at least partly because everybody else was drinking and seemed to expect us to. Um, those of us who began to drink alone or to sneak a drink now and then often did so to keep some other person or people from knowing how much, how often we drink. So consider this when you're at home on the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's where this comes up a lot, you know, especially in family dynamics. Yeah. Um, and our, our drinking caused many of us to choose our friends according to how much they drank. Do you remember mm, doing that? Of course. When we were, <laughs> I didn't have any friends that didn't drink at all. I haven't thought few. about that in a long time, but yeah. you really would be like, oh no, they go out, you know, right. well, this much. And I wanted to be around people who party. Yep. Um, Many of us were guilty and angry about the way our family reacted to our drinking. Some of us lost jobs because of a boss or a colleague at work objected to our drinking happened to be. We wish people would mind their own business and leave us alone. Um, so to begin to put the concept of live and let live into practice, we must face this fact. There are people in AA and everywhere else who sometimes say things we disagree with or do things we don't like. Learning to live with differences is essential to our comfort. It is exactly in those cases that we have found it extremely helpful to say to ourselves, oh, well, live and let live. Um, you know, for our recovery, and I underline this, it is more important to understand than to be understood. Mm. So it's like... Ha <laughs> I underlined it too. Did you really? Same <laughs> sentence. Wow. So what is this really talking about here? Like, what, what is this telling us to do, Mike? Someone it, worrying about someone who looks at you the wrong way or, you know, thinking about someone else and drinking at them. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, there's no, or they made me. Right. I mean, or, there's no, there's no point to that. And, you know, it's more, it says more about you than it does about them. I mean, you have to figure out a way to like, to not let any of that stuff get to you. I mean, you have to work, you have to enjoy your own life uh, and then you can let other people live however they want. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Walk away from a situation. Um, right. You know, if, if somebody, somebody is like upsetting you or, you know, you don't have to engage. No. I do this with politics now, big time. Mm-hmm. Um, I never get into an argument or a debate about politics with anyone, even if they come into my store and start talking about it. Gee, who, who are you talking about? There's several different. <laughs> uh, I don't go along for it. I just because guess what? It doesn't matter to me that they're wrong or I disagree right. with them, right? It doesn't affect me. It's not important for me to change their mind. No, because you're not going to be able to do it anyway. No, it's a waste of energy. And so that's why I've become even more easygoing in my older age um, is I have a live and let live attitude. What someone else does, 
does not matter to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, or things that they say, things they feel. If somebody doesn't like me, or like I say the wrong thing, I make the wrong joke at one of my customers and it upsets them maybe, right? I can't let that affect me because that's on them. Yeah. You know, I mean, keeping no, my side of the street clean. And, and right. And there's no point in like drinking over or drinking at people that you disagree with because the only person that's being hurt by that is you. Right. Like you know? drinking the poison to uh, kill someone else. Right. I mean, nobody, nobody can force you to drink physically. You shouldn't let them force you to drink mentally either. No, you shouldn't. And the more we think about the drink we're trying to keep away from, the more it occupies our mind. I outline that. I underline um, that too. So, uh, you know, the next <laughs> most important uh, aspect of, of this method, I think, is, um, is just understanding that the work begins when you quit drinking. Uh, recovered alcoholics often say just stopping drinking is not enough. Just not drinking is a negative, sterile thing. That is clearly demonstrated by our experience. To stay stopped, we found we need to put in place of the drinking a positive program of action. We've had to learn to live sober. So we try to develop a healthy respect for the power of alcohol instead of fearing it. Just as people have a healthy respect for cyanide, iodine, or any other poison, without going around in constant fear of these potions, most people respect what they can do to the body and have enough sense not to imbibe them. We now have the same knowledge of and regard for alcohol, but of course it is based on firsthand experience, not on seeing a skull and crossbones on the label. Right. Um, and, and this is part of what we talked about with the Annie Grace program, uh, The Snake in Mind. It's just really understanding and internalizing the truth mm-hmm. that this alcohol is a poison. It will hurt you. It is not uh, It's not something that, you know, is a reward. No. Right? It's an addictive chemical that if taken in sufficient quantity, anybody will eventually become addicted and destroy their lives. With. Yeah. And so what this book is... Keep that in the foremost part of your yeah. mind. What the book is suggesting is that we think of alcohol like something we're allergic to. If you have a trouble viewing it as poison because of how brainwashed we've been our whole lives with you know alcohol and everything, think of it as you're just allergic to it. Yeah. And that's what they encourage you to do. It's the same thing in the big book they talk about as an allergy. And, so uh, like, and to have the same respect, like if I'm allergic to peanuts mm-hmm. and it kills me, right? think of it that way for yeah. alcohol. I mean, even if you don't really believe it, think of it that way. And, you know, eventually you may start to believe it. Yeah. Um, so if, you're, if people are looking for real practical, you know, nuts and bolts advice about how to deal with, uh, you know, parties and stuff... Uh, I would urge you to check out chapter 26 of this book, which is entitled Be Wary of Drinking Occasions, which seems to be a, a <laughs> appropriate. And because they, you know, the authors share their experience uh, of the ways that they've worked out handling occasions when other people are drinking so you can enjoy the occasions. Not, yes. Not drinking, right? Um, that took practice for me. Yeah. And, you know, I wish... I had known about the existence of this book my first year of sobriety because it would have helped me a lot. I kind of had to figure stuff out by myself or I reached out to uh, the Stop Drinking subreddit 
on Reddit, which I, I, I highly recommend any of you who uh, do any Redditing to go and check out that subreddit because people are on there all the time, 24-7. It's like a, it's like a continual meeting. Um, oh, wow. So, so if you, you can reach out to people, and it's people from all different traditions or no traditions of sobriety. Everyone is there for the same reason. And when I was at a few work conferences and I had had like 30 days sober and I was about to head off to a dinner where I knew there would be a lot of booze, I just popped in you know, into my hotel room and sent a message and I had, you know, 10 responses within a half an hour. Wow. You know, and people were like, you know, we're going to check on you later and, you know, we're going to, you know, you know, make sure you report back to us when you get back to your room about how everything went. And it was, it was extremely helpful. And over the holidays when there may not be a lot of other um, resources available, or if you're not in a formal program like AA, uh, you know, get on that subreddit, reach out to people, and people people will uh, help you and respond to you. Some people even post their phone numbers there, so there's always somebody yeah. to call. Or come to the uh, Recovery in the Middle Ages page, and someone may be there. We don't have that so, many people yet. Somebody will probably be there, you know. Being wary of, of drinking occasions, though, but this, this uh, brings up a larger issue in recovery, mm-hmm. um, and that's, you know, can I go to restaurants where alcohol is served? Or, or can I go to the Super Bowl party where there will be alcohol? Um, you probably not. <laughs> not for me. I have a famous uh, Super Bowl story I told in a previous episode. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's good advice, at least at first, to, to try and avoid these things while you're getting yourself settled, while you're, you know, you're getting over your cravings. And then you can, you know, if, if you, you have to. Right. If you can't, you know, it says... Uh, in page 63, do we go into bars or into restaurants or clubs where liquor is served? Yes, after a few weeks or months when we have a legitimate reason to be there. If we have time to kill while waiting for friends, we do not choose time to spend it perched on a bar stool swilling a cola. No. But if a business or social event occurs in such a place, we attend and participate uh, in all but the drinking. So in the for the first non-drinking months, it's probably a healthy idea to stay away from our old drinking buddies and haunts and to find reasonable excuses for skipping parties where drinking will be a major entertainment. It seems especially important that we stay away from such affairs if we feel nervous about them. Mm. But sooner or later, there comes a time when a family or business obligation or a friendship makes us feel compelled to go. Or perhaps we just want to go. We have developed a number of ways to render such occasions easy for us to take, even though we abstain. Now we are talking primarily about the big cocktail party or the fairly large but informal dinner with drinks evening. Mm. Um, I like the suggestion that follows that um, you can reach out to the host or hostess of the event if it's an old friend or even if it's a a family member that you feel will have, have a receptive ear. And just tell them that you're not drinking. Yeah, yeah. You know, I usually make eye contact with a with a wait waiter or waitress if there is one, and you know that's a technique I've picked up in recent years. As I say, yeah, I'm not drinking any alcohol, no alcohol. Oh, you say no alcohol, right? And then they get it. They right usually away. they nod, yeah. and yeah. it's it's a little trickier at work, right? If you have like a work cocktail party or a work lunch or something. Yeah, why aren't you drinking with me? It's yeah. like they don't trust you if you don't have a drink with like your client. I have found through experience that the best way to deal with that is to simply sidestep the issue and do something that. And this is how I handle it, right? I handle it by pretending that I'm drinking. Ah, so I will get the the glass of uh, ginger ale in a rocks glass with a twist and a swizzle stick 
and just sip on it. And no one is looking at me like, what are you drinking? Because it seems like I'm drinking scotch. Mm, yeah, right. that's a trick. Or I get a, a, a seltzer water with a twist of lime in a rocks glass with a swizzle stick and people assume I'm drinking vodka. And then it and literally never comes up. You know? Right, right. So if you're going to a, a Thanksgiving meal and there's an open bar or something like that, um, if you can, like what I would do is at my cousin's house, even though they know I don't drink anyway, but mm-hmm. there is an open bar and, it, you know, it, what I do is, First things first, <laughs> I <laughs> I get a, if they have Dr. Pepper, or sometimes she gets me Dr. Pepper, so that's my special drink. But yeah, you have that drink in your hand. It is not a point of contention. If some Funkle Lenny shows up and he doesn't know your deal, he's just visiting from Oregon or something. Right. Um, you've got that drink, and you could cheers him, and you don't have to explain yeah. anything. I mean, for um, families, I don't know what, what the good, what the solution is for a family. At a family affair, I don't think I would ever pretend that I was drinking when I wasn't. I just do it at work because... I avoid the awkward conversation and nobody cares after they've had their one or two drinks. Nobody gives a fuck what you're doing anyway. Right. You know, I mean, I, I get the drink even at the family because it helps me. Oh, I definitely have something in my hand. Well, that's that's yes. the trick. Yes. I got to have something in my hand to feel more comfortable. And so you make sure that whatever that is. Uh, right. And sometimes if I'm p- feeling particularly squirrely, I ask my wife, and she knows when I look her in the eye and say, "Can you get me a drink?" Uh-huh. She knows it means I don't want to walk over to that bar, right? For whatever no, that's reason, that's a good that's a good plan. And then she'll say, "Oh yeah, of course, you know," and she'll get me something. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe you can arrange for your partner to be the only one who can bring you a drink, or make sure that they're keeping you, yeah, uh, dialed in. The other, um, the other thing that I, um, the other strategy for that works very well for for work holiday parties is that. Uh, you, you show up late and you leave early. So, because um, yeah. a lot of the heavy drinking in, is usually in the beginning when they first open the open bar, everybody rushes up to the bar, grabs a drink and starts pounding. Uh, if you kind of slip in, uh, you know, a half hour late and that's not going to cause you any, you know, problems with the boss. And then by the time people are three or four drinks in, I found that you can just slip right out the door and no one will notice that you're gone. What do they call that? A... Uh an Irish goodbye or something? Yeah, something um, like that. But. Interestingly, in the book Living Sober, on page 64, it suggests exactly what we just said. Oh, really? And, it says, and, and what it says is, Upon arriving at such a party, it is usually best to head straight for the bar and get a glass of ginger ale or other soda. Ha! Ha! No one knows whether it is an alcoholic drink Aha. or not. Ha! Ha! <laughs> then, then we can walk <laughs> about socializing, glass in hand, without feeling conspicuous. There you go. This experience was quite revealing to many of us when we first had it. We discovered that to our surprise, that one, other people drinking is not what we thought it was, and two, very, very few people observe or care whether or not we drink alcohol. Yes. Uh, Some exceptions to the latter are likely to be loving friends or relatives who are usually glad to see us doing something about our drinking. Hmm. Um, Many of us used to say and believe that Everybody drinks, and we could argue that we did not drink a lot more than the other drinkers we knew. To tell the truth, as our drinking went on over the years, many of us tended to associate less and less with non-drinkers. So, of course, it seemed like everybody was drinking. I will say this. That's a great point. It is a great point, and I noticed at the last couple work functions that I went to, um, I used to think that everybody was fucked up at the end of them. Everyone. Right. Now I realized it was just me and like four <laughs> other people, right? And and now that I'm 
not one of them. I see exactly how sloppy people get after five or six. I, yeah. I sat next to a guy at a work function, uh, one of the last ones before the pandemic, and I watched this guy that I've known for years drink six fairly large glasses of red wine, yeah. and he was a fucking mess. Yeah, and I wouldn't have even noticed that if I was drinking because I would have been just as sloppy, and it would have. And he was repeating himself and all this stuff, and I started thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, this guy is a drinking problem. <laughs> Right, yeah, which start- is what everybody that I probably talked to over the last ten years was thinking about me. You yeah. know, crazy how your perception changes when you're not drinking. It is. So just know, and and we're going a little long. We wanted to do some stories about oh, yeah. uh, Thanksgiving past and things like that. Okay. Yeah, uh, I know you had a pretty good story, uh, but these are our practical um, our practical ideas. The last thing I want to say about this um, is have somebody to call. Um, have someone on dial, like that you can dial um, or send a text to. Like um, I frequently text Mike if I'm wherever I'm at. I'll just say, you know, oh, yes. you, don't, you don't even have to say, uh, I need help. I want a drink. You could just say, hey, what's up? You know, get the conversation going. Get out of your head. Um, but you don't have to do this alone. Reach out to the monsters on the private group. You yeah. Know? Uh, and you can get through it. You will get through it, and you will not regret not drinking. Mm-hmm. You never will, especially when you wake up Thanksgiving morning. Yep, and you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and you can go out and run that 5K or whatever you're going to do before you start. You're going to feel you know, great. Yeah, you're going to feel great. And you know that Wednesday night before Thanksgiving is the biggest going out night of the year, right? It's the it's the uh, it's the day that everybody who goes home. Uh, goes to their local bar. No, maybe not so much at my age, right? Because people are kind of out of that. Now, like fifty-year-olds with young kids don't go to, out to bars and do coke until six o'clock in the morning. Right. Generally, I remember generally. It, like my twenties and thirties. Yes, right. It was big. I don't know. Maybe some people are still doing that. I don't hang out with them. Though. <laughs> no, uh, but I had some some doozies, right? I, like I'm sure you did as well, because we yeah. were basically in the same town. We didn't know you when we were ten, you know, ten years apart. But you probably did the same stuff I did the night before Thanksgiving, you know? Uh, yeah. Yes, probably in I the did. same places. More than likely. And, it, and there was a lot of pressure to go out on Wednesday night. Um, now, Thanksgiving is just an American holiday, and we know that. Yeah, they, got a, they got one in Canada. It's, it's on a different day. I think, it is, right? yeah. Um, and so, but around here, and there's holidays like this. In every country, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It's the night before a national holiday. You know, maybe in Mumbai, it's, um, you know, Diwali. Diwali is the big holiday. That was a over couple there. weeks ago. Yeah. Did I miss that? That's why I didn't get Utpal on. Uh, I was trying to message him. And um, you didn't send him anything? <laughs> the Festival of Lights. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I had some stories, but you had a particular yeah, night know, before Thanksgiving oh. story. I don't know. You know, I, I pulled a geographic in the early 90s and I moved from, um, that's what they call it, right? When you move, you take yourself out of the situation where all the drugs and alcohol are and you move to a different city and you think things are going to be different, right? But the thing is, the problem is you bring yourself with you. And I'd actually um, stopped drinking um, 1992 uh, for a considerable period of time, a uh, number of months. And I decided I needed to move out of the Bronx because I wasn't able to maintain my sobriety in the Bronx. So I moved up to Buffalo, New York, mm. which was the hometown of my, my late wife and her family was from there. Oh, my father went to Buffalo. SUNY Buffalo? Yep. 
Yeah. It's very good. I did a semester up there, yeah. like when I was up there. But um, the problem is you take yourself with you, right? So the night before Thanksgiving, <laughs> um, you know, we ended up doing the, the townie bar thing with my, with my late wife because, you know, she was from there. She grew up there. So we went out to all the Buffalo bars and everything. And <laughs> you know, we get back to the house and she goes, uh, she's like, oh, I got to go to bed. And she goes to bed and I sit there and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, we'd go really nicely with this buzz I have on right now. It was the first time I had a drink probably in six months. I was like, uh, some crack. <laughs> yeah. Problem is I'm in Buffalo, right? And I don't know where to buy a crack in Buffalo. So you know the streets, though. but we were yes, we we were on um, we were on a uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a neighborhood that was sort of on the verge of gentrifying. Mm. So I knew if I walked like five blocks in one direction, right. I would be in a neighborhood that was not on the <laughs> not uh, you know. And that's what I did. And um, what happened was I ended up getting led around by this runner uh, who took me in an alley and took my money and was like, I'll be back in five minutes. And oh, I'm like, ah, I've been through this before, but you know what? I gave him the money because I was like, you know what? I don't, what else am I going to do? It's a gamble. Right? It's a gamble. And I lost. He didn't, he never came back. Ugh, that's the worst. It was, except for the fact that I was able to actually go back home within like a half an hour, go to sleep and then wake up with just a horrible alcohol hangover, not a cocaine hangover. So in that sense, it was it was a it was uh, a positive. But that was the last time I did that up there, and, and I don't and I didn't drink it at all for the rest of the time I was living up there. It was another eight months because that freaked me out that I that I could go like I could leave the place I was and go to a new place and still immediately go out and wander around and try and find drugs. Like yeah, and, and the cocaine hangover. Is the worst. The worst. Um, and that's what I was doing um, toward the end of my uh, tenure, uh, as they say. You know, and I would know that it was coming, but we would go out with my, you know, I was hanging out with my my wife's high school friends, right. mostly um, in my um, late 20s, early 30s, and they would meet up at the townie bar. And uh, once I found out that one of her friends was a Coke dealer, mm-hmm. uh, and it was so funny because we were all like in that the bar, like hanging out, which the bar is closed now. Right. Um, and uh, I asked the friend of the guy, because I wasn't as, cl- didn't know him that well. He was mm-hmm. like a tertiary friend. And so I said to the friend that I do know, I said, can I get some Coke? What do you think? He's like, yeah, give me the 50 bucks. So <laughs> I give him the 50 bucks or whatever it was, a hundred bucks. He turns three grabs it and turns around and gives it to me. It was like the stupidest thing ever. I'm like, why do I have to go through this? And, uh, but as soon as I got that Coke, man, um, I was very excited, of course. Right. I was drinking, but I knew I wasn't sleeping that night. Yeah. Because once I had that, you know, that was it. And the nightmare, I mean, of course, you first start doing it, you're talking, 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 you're right. asking people about, oh, you're in finance? Mm. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Tell me about what you do. Of course, I never understood these guys yeah. were in finance because they're all derivatives, you know. The and, next uh, thing you know, it's five o'clock in the morning. Five o'clock in the morning, and guess what? We have to be at Aunt Carol's by 10 o'clock to help mm-hmm. her set up for the big family, you know, the Thanksgiving extravaganza where there's right. like 40 people. Ugh. And meanwhile, and it was both of us, wasn't just me. We would be up all night, you know, and tr- of course you like at like 5 a.m. You try and lie down and sleep. Yeah, not happening. And what happens is you don't sleep. You lie down sweating. And then finally you're like, fuck, I got to take a shower. So you, you think taking a shower is going to help. You take a shower, you get all dolled up. You feel like a fucking train hit you. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt like a train 
hit me and you have to perform. There is no getting out of this. Nope. This is the this is the one thing you can never like you can't miss it. Right. And uh and there we are and you are just trying like how hopefully nobody looks at you and as soon as it's appropriate you Start go for drinking. the drink. Oh my god. <laughs> and I remember that feeling is like oh, when yep. can I get a drink? When can I get a drink? Right. 10 a.m. a little too early. 11 mm, noon. You know, well, maybe. And man, and it's so rough and that feeling and man what I'm here to tell all of you is you never have to feel that way again. That's right. I just made a meme that says that, but it's true. It's something that has stuck with me all these years. That feeling that you have right now, if you are suffering from addiction, you never have to feel this way again. Nope. Just don't do it. Don't. <laughs> just say no. Is that what you're going to say? Just say no. I'm going to say use some of the strategies we talked about and, yeah. and some other ones and do your best, you know? Do Rome, your wasn't, best. Rome wasn't built in a day, but I, I guarantee you, your Thanksgiving will be much better if you don't drink it. And listen, we're taking a dark week next week, um, right? Okay. Okay. I think we're going to take next week <laughs> off. Yeah, so, I think so we want you to know that we are still going to be active on the private group. Right. Uh, or if you're afraid of the private group and you want to just message us through the page, we'll get it. Uh, if you're struggling, you need to reach out. Just reach out to us. You'd be surprised at how quickly me and Mike will write back to you. Yes. Um, or join the group and you can get support there. Um, in any case, I think what we're going to do is take a break and come back with Recovery in the News. And we'll be right back after these words. worry about you guys so please you know stay in touch with us over this holiday um, it's a little nervous to um to take a dark week but we we really need to we've been grinding this yeah. shit out um, and when was the last time we took a week off it feels like it was six months ago i don't know you know we just like to keep it fresh sometimes i can feel it get a little burned out as much yeah. as i love it so um it'll be great though and um maybe you know. we can throw some something quick and Stupid up. Yeah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But hang in there, guys. And uh, on a lighter note, it's a lighter note. It's time for recovery in the news. Recovery now. news. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery in the news. Mixing it up this week. Covering the news Thanksgiving special. I can't get this mic right, man. This fucking mic is not doing what I want. I know you've been twitching on it for like a while. It's like when I don't, I got to have everything perfect. You know, I apologize for the quality <laughs> of that mic stand. I think I got it off Amazon for like $9. I want to get new mics. I want to get fancy new mics. What's wrong with the mics? They're the good. mics are good. But I'm listening to It's All Bad. And I'm like, that sounds really good. I want a mic. You can hear. What kind of mics do they have, though? I, I bet you, I don't know. They seem to have good good gear because I think they have like a real studio well, they, that they, they rent out to something recent. else. This is a recent upgrade on their part. In any case, I know this sounds good, but I want. I know we can get a better sound. I don't know. I'm going to try in the future when I have money. All right. So, um, recovering the news. Yeah, perhaps no surprise. This week's recovering the news is the article from the New York Times that came out on the 17th. Uh, that noted that overdose deaths reached a record high 
of 100,000 Americans uh, as the pandemic spread um, across the country. Uh, this uh, was attributed to a uh, the result of a lost access to treatment, rising mental health problems, and wider availability of dangerously potent street drugs such as fentanyl, fentanyl. which has completely changed the landscape yeah. of what it means to be a user of illicit drugs in this country. Uh, in the 12-month period that ended in April, more than 100,000 Americans died of overdoses, up almost 30%. 30% in one year. Wow. From the 78,000 deaths in the prior year, uh, according to the uh, National Center for Health Statistics. Uh, this is the first time that the number of ODs in the U.S. has exceeded 100,000 a year, which is more than the total of car crashes and gun fatalities combined. Wow. And that number is even more significant when you consider that most of the fatalities involving guns are suicides, and most of those suicides uh, involve some sort of addiction or uh, alcohol-related uh, corollary right. to depression. We so, talked about that before that, you know, we, the, the true scope of how alcohol and drugs kill is not covered in the official stats. Right. Because of yeah. that. And, and how many of those car crashes were alcohol and drug yeah, related they re- deaths? They don't report either, it as you know? um, drug um, So yeah. anyway, it, it, overdose deaths in general have more than doubled since 2015. Um, you know, the, Biden administration said that they will attempt to expand access to medications like naloxone, which can reverse the opioid overdose uh, by encouraging states to pass laws that will make it more widely available and promoting its use. Uh, the, uh, the director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy said that no one should die of an overdose simply because they don't have access to naloxone. Um, which, I mean, to me, I mean, that, I guess that's a great thing to do. Uh, it's certainly a helpful thing to do, but unless we start addressing the root causes of drug addiction, the availability of um, drugs, and the seeming inability of the government to do anything to stem the tide of uh, fentanyl being interjected into the drug supply, I you know I don't know if more naloxone is really the the primary focus that should be. No, and naloxone doesn't work in every case. And um, I don't know if that's the best plan to just hope that someone's got naloxone nearby when people overdose. It's helpful. Mm -hmm. I have, I have, uh, what do they call that? The, um, when they, Narcan. I have Narcan here in my, in my shop. Uh, I have one in my car. Um, But you're right. You know, how do we get to the root issue? And the problem is, what is the root issue? Mm. What is it? We don't know. Do we? There's a, we, a we don't, but what we do know is that there is now something that is in the drug supply that was not there necessarily years ago, and the the overdose rate has increased exponentially. And um, so it's a supply problem. We need it. Do we need, like Dr. Carl Hart says, a safe supply <laughs> provided by the government legally? That is that is, I suppose, one way of of at least beginning to get a handle on the opioid crisis. Um, yeah, this is done in a. In a some other countries where they do provide, you can get like a prescription to heroin if you are an addict. I mean, and it's actual heroin. I, I don't believe in the criminalization of addicts or addictive behavior, but if I think if you can find a drug dealer, a higher level dealer who is deliberately interjecting fentanyl surreptitiously into things like um, 
you know, um, pills or heroin or or cocaine, then I think the full weight of the judicial system should come down on that person. I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think the criminalization of, of addicts is a thing, but I really think you need to, to make these penalties harsher for people who are putting this stuff into the drug supply. That, and we also need some kind of international reach. This is coming from China, from what I understand. Oh, Mexico too. And Mexico. So what do we do on a, on a higher level, on a government level of working with these governments? I think there were some sanctions against China or some talk with China about, because in their country, manufacturing it is not illegal, I don't think, or they don't crack down on it. So the countries have to get behind this. They have to say, you know. But they're not going to because, I, I mean, you know, 100,000 people who are addicted to drugs is not, you know, a constituency with plenty of power to change public policy. Why? Which is why it's so, you're seeing it whenever like middle-class middle white kids die right. of overdoses. All of a sudden it All becomes of a sudden an it's issue. a big story. Yeah. Meanwhile, people have been dying and dying and dying. I would um, like someone to explain to me why the Sacklers are not doing life in prison for the, the fucking mess that they created. Yeah, and somebody actually said that on, on our group. I um, think it was me. No, that we should <laughs> kill them. Oh, yeah, well, yeah well, there was. A, I think a monkster was saying, like, why shouldn't these, they be executed? Right. It was his comment. Well, I, mean, I don't know if he was being facetious, yeah. but... Philosophical disagreements about the yeah. death penalty. I'm not a death penalty guy. Um, um, but, I mean, it's a, but it's, the point stands to reason just that why aren't they punished more harshly? Nobody goes to jail. Why, doesn't, why don't they go to jail? No. I mean, you know, we talked about that podcast last week about the, the guy who went from being a, a productive family man and a Boeing engineer to, you know, got his oxy prescribed, took it as directed, and then robbed banks. 30 banks in a year because he became a heroin addict because, the, the, you know, it's, it's absurd that these so people are allowed to just yeah. wander around free, you know, when they created this mess that taxpayers and, yep. and families and everybody are just paying for. It's it's it's, it's especially it, the, it makes me so furious. Especially this shit with the FDA label oh yeah and how the fda which is a government you know thing why can't i think of the word it's it's a government agency. agency right uh they how did an insider from purdue get involved to the point that he was working for the fda and helping them write an unprecedented warning label that, that's what happens you know it's a revolving door between the, the regulators and the and the industries that they regulate you know, and until something is done about that you cannot look to the government to solve this problem. Right. So in the meantime, we've got all this blood in the streets. Um, it, so. Interesting uh, that the vast majority of the deaths, 70% were among men between the ages of 25 and 54. Hmm. Which is interesting. It doesn't break it down by race. It's they all. call it, it says, like a lost generation. Like so yeah. many of us have died. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was that meme that was that's been going around in some of the recovery uh, Facebook groups that you know the generation that's being raised up today will know somebody in their class whose parents died of a drug overdose? Like yeah. that's going to be like that's interesting. a touchstone, you know, for that for that generation. It's you crazy, know, but it provides an opportunity to you know have awareness because it touches so many people's lives. Like I never thought I would hear presidents talk about you know a drug, really talk about the drug crisis, the drug. Um, epidemic but in a way that wasn't like militaristic mm -hmm. and i think it, it started a, a trump uh, had an opiate opiate um what do they call it it's a 
some kind of program or, you know, it's made a statement that we have this opioidic epidemic. So calling it out is the first thing. And so now it's more commonplace, especially because our current president's son, you know, right. is a recovered addict. And, uh, and so all of this awareness is a good thing. I, it came on a lot of, <laughs> with a lot of blood, but, you know, I think that we're moving in a, in a positive direction, hopefully. Hopefully. I, I'd be a lot more pleased to see more people uh, from the pharmaceutical industry getting their comeuppance from the situation that they basically created uh, at the expense of the taxpayer. Comeuppance indeed. And that is Recovery in the News. jam out on that for a bit now it's time for week and weird uh, nasa's scientists propose framework for announcing potential alien discoveries by who tim banal of course an intriguing editorial penned by a team of nasa scientists argues that a framework for announcing the discovery of potential alien life needs to be developed in order to best convey that earth shattering information to the public the thought-provoking piece published in the journal Nature, which is a legit journal. That is a legit journal. Begins with the bold observation that, quote, our generation could could realistically be the one to discover evidence of life beyond Earth. And then muses that with this privileged potential comes responsibility. To that end, they note that there is intense interest in the possibility that we are, quote, not alone. And as such, they caution that the potential direction detection of evidence for ETs could be misconstrued by the general public and sensationalized by the media before <laughs> such a discovery can be I can't can believe be something like that would ever happen. <laughs> With that in mind, the paper posits that there needs to be an effort to educate people that unlike how such a scenario is portrayed in pop culture, the discovery of life beyond Earth will not be a landmark moment that suddenly occurs one day. Instead, they say, confirmation of such a find will likely be the final step in a rigorous scientific process aimed at ensuring that the historic detection is the proverbial real deal. Quote, history includes many claims of life detection that later proved incorrect or ambiguous, the authors write, cautioning that these failed moments in the eyes of those expecting a blockbuster announcement threatened to weaken public trust in the scientific community. Therefore, the paper calls for a recasting of the search for life as a progressive endeavor in order to convey the value of observations that are contextual or suggestive but not definitive and emphasize that false starts and dead ends are expected and part of the mm. scientific process. Boy, this is a boring article. That's really long. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> it's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen slowly. The spaceship's going to land on the White House front lawn and the media's going to go berserk or something like that. It's not going to be like this managed flow of information. No, and it's starting to happen. We've seen, you know, with the Tic Tac videos from the, um, from the USS Nimitz, we've got, you know, uh, gun camera footage of, you know, things that even Michio Kaku is saying defy the laws of physics. Mm. This is not something that we have. So this is going to be something, it's going to happen. We're going to discover some kind of life on Mars, whether it be microbial. And so this idea is we're going to have to figure out a way to communicate this in the safest possible way that does not create hysteria. Um, oh, people are going to get hysterical no matter what. I mean, remember what happened with um, uh, War of the Worlds? The, uh, I do indeed. Yes, and aliens are, are coming into Pennsylvania Farm. Um, <laughs> have you seen the uh, War of the Worlds uh, show on Epics? 
I watched two episodes. It's very, very cool. Yeah. And the guy from uh, that show, um, in in treatment, is in it. Oh yeah. He's like the star. It's a uh, good. It's a good show. If you guys have epics, I recommend watching it. So that's this week in weird. You know what you didn't do? What? I've been hitting this button all show, and you've not said a one word about it. I love it. You didn't even acknowledge it. And I well, keep, just, I'm sitting here, I keep poking the button. You no, know, it's just part of the landscape. I love the button. In fact, I had to say to Mike yesterday, I said, make sure we got the gobble gobble yeah, on and there. I said, I'm on it. And now you, I get no reaction from the gobble gobble. Um, so thank you guys. This I'm not done with you yet. Okay. With who? With any of you. You're going to stay right what there. What are you going to do with this? You're going to sit in your seat. Um, I wanted to, look, this is the Thanksgiving Spectacular. I wanted to just, and I know we're running long, but I want to talk about things we're thankful for, maybe. We don't have to go on and on about it, but I just want you to say something. What are you thankful for, Mike? Come on. <laughs> putting you on the spot. Yeah, you are putting me on the spot, uh, but actually, for? I have an answer because uh, this, you is always what, have an answer. No, this is what we talked about in our meeting last week before you uh, joined us. Yes. And had you joined us, you would have heard me say how incredibly thankful I was for you, Nat, Aww. and for how... Uh, our association uh, here in this podcast and in, as friends uh, has really meant a lot to me, and I think it's kept me sober, and I think it's changed, changed my life for the better. And I feel the same way about all the people who have tuned in and listened to an episode of this podcast mm. and who have um, gotten something out of it and who have shared what they've gotten out of it with their friends and how it's like a, a, a stone being put into a a pond and the ripples are going out in all different directions. I'm also incredibly thankful for my family, for my kids, you know, as, as crazy as things get. I mean, yeah. they're really what it's all about, you know? So Absolutely. for you, Nat, and for my family and for this podcast and for the opportunity, for the, for the privilege of being able to speak to you all every week yeah. and, and, and for the feedback that I have gotten that some of you hear what we say and, and, and it has helped you in your life. I am so gratified by that. Yeah. I, words cannot even express it. There, I, you know, and thank you for saying that. I, I feel the exact same way. Um, this, you know, just getting to know Mike and, you know, doing our thing every week. It's been huge. I'm so thankful that, you know, all you monsters are out there and, you know, and on a real level, like person to person meeting you guys talking to you, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, it's amazing. We would have never known each other were it not for this, uh, dumb podcast, you know, and, uh, which is turning into a, you know, something it's a, I, I count on and, um, very thankful for it. I brought something. It was a card that was written to me, um, that I wanted to read everybody. Um, it was, I told you guys that I was asked to speak at my old oh, uh, yes. recovery, the place, the last place I was in outpatient is very local. I know we're going. Away. No, I'm. It's. I'm not looking at my watch. Huh. I got a text from my wife. So and, sorry. And uh, and so we decided I shouldn't do it in person because there's people who are on the board that would be at this fundraiser that you know go to my church. Just, right. And there's still a big stigma associated with it. So I did write something, and it was read, mm-hmm. and then I received an actual card. Oh, in the mail. A thank you note. And incidentally, this was my therapist at that outpatient. Cool. So I had a very, you know, and what she says is, Dear Nat, your thoughtful words that you wrote and agreed to have read at the Youth and Family Fundraiser were sincere, meaningful, and 
touched a chord in all of those in attendance. Her handwriting is hard to read, sorry. Mm. Uh, it was personal and relatable. Knowing you and your journey personally caused me to wipe the tears away from my eyes repeatedly uh, and to learn about all of the good things that you are doing with your recovery to shine a light forward in is fantastic. Continue to be that for yourself and others one day at a time. Best to you and your family. Um, you know, best wishes. Uh, and so that's lovely. It's, it's really lovely. And, you know, I'm grateful for that experience. And uh, it's just great. It's nice to feel like somebody appreciates your recovery. That, sure. You know, because sometimes it's easy to feel like, oh, he's just doing what he's supposed to. Right. You know, and sometimes I feel that, you know, like, uh, but, you know, what do you, you know, addicts are the only people who want a medal for running out of a burning building. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, anyway, so, you know, these are the kind of the, the gifts of my recovery, the th- just these little things that, you know, you can give back a little bit and feel great. Excellent. Nice way to end the show about Thanksgiving. That about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, (laughs) Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt on the shop. Or simply write and say hello. We'd love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. Yes, indeed. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfecto. That's profits. Progress. Progress. Not perfection. See you next time. Happy Thanksgiving. Be good. Seriously. 